Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. We've been in the book of Philippians, and it's been exciting. And you know, we see so many things that arise out of this book, out of a situation where Paul, the apostle, by most people's definition, or even their understanding, is not being blessed. Because if you look at his life, you see, think about it. He's in prison. He's been lied about by colleagues. The whole book is dominated by Paul's joy, his peace, and his happiness that he has in his heart. And so this book, Paul has given us an entirely new way of looking at life. That's what I want you to understand. Paul, and God wants us to understand that he wants us to look at life differently than what we look at at most times. He's not just giving us a Band-Aid to fix what's going on. I don't know, how many of you have kids that think Band-Aids fix all boo-boos? Right? Right? A Band-Aid, just put a Band-Aid on it. Like if it's a little scratch, put a Band-Aid on it and kiss it and it's good, right? Or the other thing is, you know, I got a headache, put a Band-Aid on their forehead and it's all good. Well, The Apostle Paul doesn't slap a happy face on it, and uh, but he faces head on the bad things in life. He's given us a whole new radical way of looking at God, looking at yourself, and looking at life in general. So today, chapter three, Paul's going to give us his resume inside of these 11 verses. And he's going to explain all the things that make him feel happy, the things that he thought were going to make him forever happy, to try to give him meaning and security that he's going to tell us don't really work. And he's going to show us this, that there's a whole lot better way to live our lives than just to look at our resume. And I want to speak to you today on how to live a life that is all for Jesus, how to live a life that is all for Jesus today. So... Here's a question. Do you know why God puts you where you are right now? That's a tough question for some. Do you know why God puts you where you are at right now? And so, have you ever wondered about that? That is, uh, why are you where you're at at this moment in time? Um, Do you think it happened by chance that you were single? Or that you were married? Or that you were with children at home? or they've long since moved away, or that you're in a good job, or you're stuck in a bad situation? Do you wonder that today? Or is there a larger purpose that is at work in your life at this moment? Only two things in the world are eternal, the word of God and the people of God. How many of you got that? Amen. So the apostle Paul is going to tell us, you need to put most of your emphasis on those two things because they last forever. The word of God and the people of God, the people that are around us, the people that are in our lives. The word of God will last forever. People last forever and everything else will disappear. That's what the apostle Paul is going to show us in this passage. When asked by a job interviewer about his goal in life, one man responded, my goal in life is to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. The Apostle Paul would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Where will you be when you get where you're going? Where will you be? Evidently, the Apostle Paul had wrestled 
deeply with this question, and he had evaluated the entire direction of his life before and after he met Jesus. But once he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was radically and utterly transformed because his values were literally turned upside down, Scripture tells us. Everything that he thought was so important became like dung to him when he compared it with the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I want to show you from this passage how Paul came to that startling conclusion. And as we move through these verses, take some time to ponder that question I asked a moment ago. Where will you be when you get where you are going? How to live a life for Jesus, the Apostle Paul starts off by saying, if you want to live a life for Jesus, put no confidence in your flesh. He says in verse 1, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The passage begins with a reminder to rejoice. Remember, that's an overall writing theme through this book, joy and rejoicing, and he comes to chapter 3, and he reminds us again. Do you know that in West Africa, there is a fruit called taste berry, or also miracle berry? It changes a person's taste so that everything, including some fruit, becomes sweet and pleasant for hours after eating. Praise could be considered the taste berry of the Christian life. You spend your day in praise and gratitude, even the sour circumstances in your life can taste sweet. Amen? Because as you're praising the Lord, it just has a way of changing things that are innocent around us. The apostle Paul moves from that and says, hey, there's a warning for every one of you. And evidently, some false teachers had infiltrated the church at Philippi, and Paul wanted to make sure that the congregation knew how to handle them. That is an important word for the body of Christ in this day. The apostle Paul is saying it's not just up to the pastors to handle the stuff that tries to infiltrate its way into the body of Christ. It is everybody's job in the body of Christ to deal with things that try to infiltrate that are not in this word. Can I hear an amen? That is the body of Christ's job, right? That, wait a minute, that which was being said doesn't line up with this, so I need to come at that and lovingly deal with it. We shouldn't deal with it in a harsh or wrathful way, but we should deal with it biblically in a loving way. Paul wanted to make sure the congregation knew how to handle the infiltration, In verse 2, he uses three exceedingly harsh terms to describe the false teachers. He calls them dogs. Now, what I'm going to show you here is a picture of my dog. (laughs) Kristen took this picture this week. When my dog is hungry, that's what she does to me every night. That's 75 pounds of pure weight. On, I'm telling you, and it kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier, right? She does this to me. My wife's like, that dog. I'm telling you, every single night, this is what she does. Like, dad, feed me. I can't stop thinking about dog food. You know, it's all these things that she's so hungry for, right? Well, that's not what the apostle Paul is referring to. He's talking about a different type of dog, 
He's saying these wild dogs, literally in that day that roamed the streets, men who do evil and mutilators of the flesh. That's what he calls them. These men were immoral, influential, and injurious. They were zealous, but they were wrong. They were active in the church, but they were evil in their influence. That is what he's addressing. And they were professing Jewish Christians who taught that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. They claimed that circumcision was necessary in order to be accepted by God. And the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, this is nothing more than heresy. It is false teaching. It's one thing for a man to decide he wants to keep the law of Moses for himself. That's what he's addressing. It's something else to demand that everyone else do as he does. It's even worse to say that if you don't do as I do, you can't be saved. To say that, you must keep the law in order to be saved, the apostle Paul is saying, is you really deny the gospel of grace in your life. These men were mutilating the souls of people they claim to be helping. And notice Paul's answer in verse 3. He says, we are the circumcision. He means that true believers have been circumcised in their hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't need a physical operation because we've had a spiritual heart transplant. Amen? That's what he's saying. It was all about the outward. No, he says this is something that can only happen on the inside by the work of the Holy Spirit. That there's an inward cutting back. There's an inward cutting away of the flesh in our lives. But as a result of that, he says, we worship in the spirit. We give glory to Jesus Christ because why? We are to put no confidence in the flesh. Let me be clear about this today. Religion without Christ is dangerous. Religion without Christ is dangerous. Millions of people today are trusting in the religion to get them to heaven. They believe that they were baptized as an infant, or as a child, teenager, or an adult, that they are automatically going to heaven. Many people have a Christ plus in their life. They're trusting in Christ plus baptism, plus church membership, plus going to mass, or, or Christ plus just, you know, money. Many things that people put in there. And here's what I got to say to that. Don't trust in your religion because it can't save you. Don't trust in your parents' religion because it can't save you. Don't trust in your water baptism because it can't save you. Don't trust in church attendance because that can't save you either. Religion at its purest form is good. It's meaning the pure worship of God. We've taken it to do other things because it's outside of a relationship in Jesus. But baptism is good. Church membership is good. There's many other rewarding things in Christianity. But if your heart has never been circumcised by faith in Christ, you are not saved and you are not going to heaven. That's the warning Paul wants them to understand and he wants you and I to understand. He talks about a misplaced confidence inside of verses four through six. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have even more. Circumcised on the eighth day, here's his resume, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on law, faultless. 
He gives this personal illustration of his own life. He says, listen, listen, look at all that I have. This is all that I've come to. This is what I have. This is my resume. He lifts seven different points. Right ritual. How? I was circumcised on the eighth day. Right race. I'm an Israelite. Right family. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I have the right religion because I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I have the right occupation because I'm a Pharisee. I have right zeal because I persecuted the church. I have right morality, outwardly keeping all of God's commands. So listen, if you and I aren't impressed by that, it's only because we're not a Jew living in the first century. And there's a term we use to describe people from a very high position in society. We call them blue bloods. And and Paul was a Jewish blue blood to the core He was in as you could be in in the first century with all of these things. He had it all. Jewish descent, an amazing Jewish education. He had a high standing in culture. He had a reputation for absolutely keeping the law, a reputation for moral purity. What more could you want? If you look at that, this is the point of what he's saying in this passage. What more could you want? If being religious could get you to heaven, then Paul should have had a guaranteed front row seat right next to Moses and Elijah, right? I mean, he should have been right there because his spiritual resume was as good as it gets. Talk about a high draft pick. This was it. He was number one. The point is most people in the world stop there and they go no further. They took a, take a look at their spiritual resume and figure it's not too bad. I bet every person in this room, sometime or another, have looked at our own lives and said, you know, it's not too bad. I think I'm doing okay, right? We all get caught up in the trappings of that. Sure, we all do. But, but he's saying, listen, there's something deeper that has to be at work. And maybe it's not as good as Paul, but it's surely good enough to maybe, maybe squeak into heaven. Go to church occasionally, try to be good. They haven't killed anybody lately. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Try to help others in need. They figure that somehow it's all going to work out in the end. Most people sincerely believe that, 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 their, that their best is enough. What more could you want? I don't know about you, but I realize that on my best day, it's still not enough. All of my righteous acts are as filthy rags. And if you want to read about colorful language, you go ahead and look up what that means because it's pretty colorful. He says, listen, you should put no confidence in your flesh. You should put no confidence in your spiritual resume. He says this, though, if you want to live a life that's all for Jesus, you should put all your confidence in him, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of who? Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all. All things, I consider them garbage. Your words could say rubbish. It means dung that I may gain Christ. Kristen asked me yesterday, what are you preaching about tomorrow? I said, I'm preaching about rubbish. She goes, okay. (laughs) That's what this passage is about. It's about rubbish. It's about dung. it's, It's about garbage. That's what he's saying. That brings us into this third section of this passage that is so important as Paul considers his life before and after coming to Christ. He he does a kind of mental accounting of a spiritual profit and loss statement in his life. 
On the prophet's side, he puts Jesus Christ. That's what he puts in there as a prophet. On the lost side, in the spiritual accounting, he says, these are the seven things that I have bragged about. Think about that for a moment. Paul is casting aside his national heritage, his ethnic background, his religious training, his family's heritage, his years of education, training as a Pharisee, reputation for being religiously zealous, and his standing as a man of high character. And he says, it doesn't matter at all because it's all done to me. The only thing that matters in my life is knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Put no confidence in your flesh, the Apostle Paul is saying. Put all your confidence on Jesus Christ today. Church, put no confidence in your flesh today because our flesh fails us. Are you with me? Right? But put all of your confidence inside of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning because that's what matters the most. Why would Paul, as you look at this, uh, come to such a radical conclusion? Because that, this is a radical conclusion because he had everything to boast about. I mean, it's radical. We read about this rubbish and we normally maybe would assume, okay, if I look at the word rubbish, he's probably talking about, you know, maybe it's God, what God calls sin. Rubbish of life could be, what it could be, bad habits, sexual immorality, gross misconduct, idolatry, witchcraft, racial prejudice, an uncontrolled temper, whatever, other bad stuff that we know is wrong. And if I said to you, get the rubbish out of your life, how many of you would instinctively think about your ethnic heritage or your college education or your years as a Sunday school teacher? But that's precisely what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3. For Paul, anything that keeps you from Christ is rubbish and dung, no matter how good it looks to you. That is what he's saying. There is a spiritual ledger in all of our lives. Jesus Christ or rubbish. And he says, listen now, in Jesus, there is a new spiritual accounting that is taking place as a convert in Jesus. And it all has to be weighed in the balance of those two things every single day of our lives for the things that we are living for or not living for. Years back, we um, took a missions trip to West Africa, to Dakar, Senegal, and we had a number of people from our church that went on that trip. It was an amazing missions trip. But um, you know what's cool is we were, as we got to minister there and, and be there, that um, they thought it would be cool to give us as Americans names from Africa. And then we were to give them American names to those that lived in West Africa. And it's always cool to hear that. And I remember, you know, going around and, you know, they're saying, okay, what, you know, you're always looking, what name am I going to get? This is going to be fun, right? And then you're giving them a, a name, you know, a really great name. And uh, you want to give them something that's great. And we had a um, men's uh, speaker a few years back that said he was in Africa. And um, he said, as he went around, they did the same thing to them. And man, 
he got up there and was like, man, they gave me this really strong, bold African name that's just like so prominent in society. Well, I got up after that speaker and I said, listen, when I was in Africa, they gave me a name. And as the guy was sitting across the table, that, that West African, as he was looking at me, he says, here's the name I'm going to give you, Dudu. Doo doo. <laughs> right? I was like, man, I'm men's big brand. They gave you a great name. They gave me doo doo. <laughs> I think I gave my guy like a strong name like David. I was like, you are David. Yes, right? You call me doo doo. <laughs> I call you David. <laughs> right? Paul saying, hey, listen, I can sound, consider all this doo doo. It's dung. The most arresting part of verse 8, I'm struck by this, this thought. Listen to what he said. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Why? Because then I can gain Christ. You know this Greek word that he's using in this rubbish, it's dung, it's excrement. That's a powerful term. Looked at the background of this and he said, you know what, it's all dung in my eyes compared with the privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why would a man with such a word to describe his own past in his life, why would he do this? It's harsh, isn't it? It's, it's really on the line of hyperbole. This exaggeration to get the reader's attention. Or does he really mean it? It's not the thing on Paul's list that all these things that were wrong in themselves, except for the one where he persecuted and killed Christians, right? I mean, you know, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. You're the tribe of Benjamin. That's like a Navy SEAL in the day. I mean, that's high and that's lofty, right? Kept, kept the, the law of God, you know, zealously. The heritage issues were the things he couldn't change about his own background, his lifestyle, but, but the, most of them weren't sinful in of themselves, but they were rubbish to him because he took inordinate pride in them, and he looked down on others because of them, and he evaluated everything in his life in light of them, and in the end, those human things were the dung that he says, you know what, I have to throw overboard so that I can gain Christ. I have to throw this over because you know what? It's there. It's great. Man, the accolades, all of these. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. But he says, these things have to go overboard in my life so that I can continue to set sail for Christ. I can keep moving because there is something greater that is at work. It's Jesus Christ in me. All of us come from one background or another, right? There's no reason not to take pride in your ethnicity or national heritage, to appreciate your good points and to learn from the mistakes from our ancestors. But, and this is the point of Philippians 3. If you think that being American or Japanese, Indian, Portuguese, British, whatever, somehow puts you in a better position with God, you are sadly mistaken, the Apostle Paul says. And if you use your national heritage to look down on other people because you feel superior to them, you haven't understood your own sinfulness and how desperately you stand in need of God. And Paul does this accounting 
in his life so that you and I will do the accounting in our life. And that is the conclusion that he comes to, and that, that, that his advantages didn't matter in God's eyes, and in some ways they actually kept him from discovering God's grace in turn until he learned to count them as dung compared with the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. To, to live a life all for Jesus, he also says this, knowing Jesus is better than everything. Knowing Jesus Christ is better than everything else in your life today, knowing him. Because in verse 9 he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I wonder if we understand how radical this perspective really is. Because he says this in verse 9, there's full justification. In verse 10, there is continued sanctification. In verse 11, there's future glorification. Some people look at verse 11 many times. They find it kind of a strange verse. You know, it, it, it seems like in this, you read it that Paul has expressing doubt about his own resurrection and, and when he says somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. No, what he's really saying there is that Jesus is his plan A and there's no plan B. That Paul is saying, I'm trusting in Jesus so fully that I don't have a fallback position that I don't have like a, a hope so in my life. Jesus is it. That is the plan that God has for each and every one. That's the plan A. That it means trusting Jesus so completely that if he can't take you to heaven, you aren't going to go there. Here's the point. Put all that we have in Christ on one side of the ledger and then put your spiritual resume on the other side, the apostle Paul tells us. What we have in Christ is so great that nothing in this world can compare to it ever. And Paul expresses the goal of his life twice in these verses. He says, verse 9, that I may be found found in him. He wants us to look at life in such a way that when the end comes, that we will be found by God in Christ Jesus. We're to take this Bible today and say that this Bible represents Jesus Christ in our life. This Bible represents Jesus Christ. This piece of paper represents your life and mine. And the Apostle Paul, what he's doing is he's saying in here, I hope to use this as an illustration that will set in, that listen, as you come to Christ and you know Christ, that our life is called to be in Christ And that Jesus covers us completely. Some people are content with being close to Christ, near to Christ. And the Apostle Paul says to truly understand, to live a life that is all for Jesus, you understand that your life is in Christ and is now hidden in him. Because listen, on our own, our righteousness is like filthy rags. But in Christ, he covers you and me. 
and we are found in him. That's what the Apostle Paul wants you to know today. Some of us have a lot of flesh. Almost have a little flesh. Just hang out a little bit. Lord, look what I've done. Jesus said, no. You truly want my righteousness. You're found in me. And I have you covered. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Listen, if all of our sins get imputed to you and me, we are forever damned to hell. But when we come and we find ourselves in Christ, we quickly find out that all the things that have been called to be imputed to us are now imputed to Jesus Christ. And we don't stand in our own righteousness. We stand in his righteousness today. And we can only boast about him because our spiritual resumes don't cut it. That's what he's called us to. Where will you be when you get where you are going? When you finally come and I finally come to the end of my days unless Jesus comes back sooner, however many years, where will you be? The Apostle Paul says, you know, for those that are in Christ, they end up in heaven because that's what they were living for upon this earth. Whatever you're living for right now, that's what you get in eternity. Hello? What are you living for today? You can shroud it off. You can try to shrug it off. But there's an accounting. There's an accounting that Jesus has with every single one of us. What are, what are you living for today? Apostle Paul says, hey, it's the Word of God, it's the people of God. Those are the only two things that count. I don't know about you, but I want to be hidden in Christ. I want to be hidden in Him because that's the only thing that matters. The problem so many people has is that they're still playing in the rubbish heap of life and their hands are covered with the dung of earthly things. 2,000 years ago, the Lord asked the question this, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? We are all in this room, online, those that are watching us today, we're on a journey today into eternity sooner than we'll think unless the Lord comes back we'll be in a casket and people will be weeping over us what will they say about you and I then what will they put on the tombstone of our life he spent his life she spent her life on the things that didn't really matter or he met Jesus she met Jesus and life was never the same after that do you know Jesus today do you know him just pure and simple are you still trusting in your religion to get you to heaven so today I just encourage you maybe it is going home on a piece of paper and putting the ledger Jesus on one side and the rubbish on the next and look at to see what you're really living for And may, through the grace of God, you find your way into 
the things that really matter in Christ Jesus. And that you would gain Christ and His righteousness more than any other thing. We're going to sing. I've decided to follow Jesus. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray. now in this moment as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed would you take that spiritual accounting right now maybe you don't know Jesus and through this moment you've realized you've been living for rubbish things in you that just aren't right would you take this moment right here today and accept Christ Jesus into your life would you at this moment confess your sins because the word says he's faithful, he's just to forgive you. Every single sin you've ever committed in this moment that he can forgive and then he can give you his righteousness and you can be found in him today in a new life where there is real joy, where there's real happiness, where there's a real mission for his kingdom and his glory. In this moment if you said yes to the Lord you've asked him to come into your life would you do this for me would you just raise your hand just raise your hand across this place thank you for that hand I thank you for that hand anyone else see two hands see three hands four I see that hand in the back anyone else Father I thank you for these hands that have been raised right now in this moment Lord Jesus they want you to be Lord and Savior and Lord as we confess our sins you're faithful and just to forgive us Father I thank you for those that accepted you I pray for every believer in this room that Lord they would take a daily account of the things that they're living for and start living for you to be found in you for what really matters We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone said, amen. I saw four hands being raised. Would you just join me in thanking Jesus for that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for people that have come to you today. Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.